Hey there, everyone. It's Greg again with another edition of See It or Shove It. I'm here this week to give you my thoughts on the latest movies playing in theaters and streaming on your TV. Also this week, I'll bring you a new edition of Be Kind Rewind and Oscar Outlook. Let's get started. For our featured movies this week, Magic Mike shakes his groove thing one last time in Magic Mike's Last Dance. Eddie Murphy and Jonah Hill spar with each other in Netflix's You People. A conniving cat tries to hoodwink an entire town in The Amazing Maurice. And the classic blockbuster Titanic sails back into theaters for its 25th anniversary. First, when Mike Lane meets a rich, lonely socialite, the dancing life he thought was history is thrust into the forefront again. This is Magic Mike's Last Dance. So let's dance. Let's dance. Why are you in London? I'm going to put on a show at this famous theater. People are numb, disconnected. We're going to wake them up with a wave of passion they've never felt before. Hell yeah. Without further ado, I give you the visionary artist, Magic Mike. So. The film opens with Channing Tatum's iconic Mike Lane, now working as a catering bartender after his furniture business went under. At a charity event in Miami, Mike meets a socialite named Max, played by Oscar-nominated actress Salma hayek Pinot. Instantly intrigued by Mike, Max nervously propositions him with thousands of dollars to give her a dance to help cheer her up from the realities of her impending divorce from a wealthy London businessman. Mike insists his dancing days are behind him, but the lure of money is too good to refuse, and Mike gives Max one last dance. To say Max is impressed with his, um, skills, shall we say, would be an understatement. She convinces Mike to return to London with him for a secret job where he discovers she wants him to create and choreograph a new stage show in London's West End. But can the two just maintain a business relationship, or will temptation overtake them? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a shove-it. And I give this film a... See it! I was really surprised at how much I liked this movie. I thought both Channing Tatum and Salma Hayek-Pinot were really good together. Interesting story... Tandaway Newton was originally cast in the role, and she ended up leaving right when production started. I believe she said it was because of a family emergency, and of course rumors were spreading that it was because of some kind of onset conflict with Channing Tatum. But we'll never know, and frankly, it's none of our business. So, um, Salma Hayek's Pinot stepped in just under the wire, and she really pulls it off with the chemistry uh, with Channing Tatum. I really thought the storyline was pretty standard, although it was also pretty engaging. I mean, don't look for this to win any Writers Guild Awards anytime soon, but it was nicely paced and had some great humor in it, and um, I really liked the crux of the storyline and giving Mike something to do other than just dance. But when he danced, my word, the women and probably gay men in the audience were going crazy. It really is very good. <laughs> I know the final act of this movie was pretty much just an advertisement for the Magic Mike Las Vegas show, but I was okay with that. 
I think the setting within the theater made it very interesting and the tension that was brought with Max's ex-husband threatening to shut the thing down. Um, you knew as an audience member that wasn't going to happen, but how they got around it was actually quite comical. If you'd like the previous Magic Mike movies, I think you'll enjoy this one as well. Now, my sister really enjoyed it and said she will never look at a plate glass window the same way ever again after the first scene between Tatum and Hayek Pinot, and she's not wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, go see it if you can while it's playing around you. I know it had a somewhat limited theater count, which leads me to believe it will probably be on HBO Max sooner rather than later. And considering this was originally supposed to be an HBO Max film with no theatrical release, I wouldn't be surprised. So catch it while you can on the big screen. Next, when a Jewish man wants to marry his black girlfriend, cultures collide. This is You People. You're dating a black girl? I've never felt so understood by somebody in my entire life. Whether you like it or not, we kind of go together now. You're my boo, come on. I'm going to ask her to marry me. Do you plan to? Talk to her family? Yeah, I just haven't had the chance to meet them. What's going on? Tell me about life. How are you? This is your white granddaddy come back to haunt me. What? Now this is my fault? <clears throat> so you want to marry my daughter? Yes. Yes, I do. Well, Ezra, you can try. Academy Award nominee Jonah Hill plays Ezra, a podcast host, who has a show on cultural differences with his friend Mo, played by Sam J. One day, he accidentally gets into a car thinking it is his Uber, and he scares Amira Mohammed, played by Lauren London. After an awkward first meeting, the two become friends and eventual lovers. Six months later, Ezra gets the urge to propose marriage and goes to Amira's parents to ask permission. Amira's parents, Akbar and Fatima, played by... Academy Award-nominated actor Eddie Murphy and Nia Long, are not overly keen on the idea, especially Akbar, who devises a plan to sabotage the relationship. Equally awkward is Ezra's family, with his parents Shelley and Arnold, played by the great Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and David Duchovny. Arnold tries to be the woke father who is all into black culture, and Shelley tries to be the overly enthusiastic mother-in-law-to-be, who wants desperately to fit in and learn about Amira's culture, so much so that it reaches offensive levels. Can these two overcome their family drama to set the perfect wedding? I give this film a... Shove it. I found this film to be surprisingly unfunny, considering it was directed and written by Kenya Barris, who is responsible for the great show Blackish. And also with a cast like Eddie Murphy, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Nia Long, and Jonah Hill, you would expect it to be a knockout. But honestly, the jokes were lame. They were not funny. They were stereotypical. Um, I just, you know, for the man who wrote Blackish, um, he and Jonah Hill wrote the screenplay for this. And I would think and hope that it would have been more of a biting satire on society's views of different cultures like the show Blackish was, but this was something that could have been written by anybody. Um, I found the film to just drag on and on and on and on with one lame joke after another. Julia Louis-Dreyfus does the best she can with a role that is written so borderline offensively that I'm just shocked, again, that it was written by 
a man of the caliber of Barris and um, Jonah Hill. This one is on Netflix now, and I really wouldn't waste your time with it. It is so lowbrow and frankly boring that it's not worth your time. And Eddie Murphy, especially, just seemed to be phoning it in for the entire film. I was shocked at how unfunny and straight-laced he was. There's no way in hell this couple would have allowed this to go on, as long as it did, right up until the wedding without intervening. So it just it wasn't believable, it wasn't funny, it wasn't worth your time, so don't watch it. Next, a cat schemes towns far and wide to earn money. This is the amazing Maurice. Looks like a town with opportunities. It's all quiet. There aren't any local rats here. It smells, doesn't it? Smells like a... A mystery. There has to be a clue that would advance the plot. The world doesn't have a plot. Things just happen. Ah! Are you all right? Yeah, I'm all right, because I landed on my head. Based on writer Terry Pratchett's book, The Amazing Maurice is voiced by Hugh Laurie. As a cat who, along with his friend and an army of rats, goes from town to town to scheme them out of money when he tells them they have a rat infestation and only he and his friend Keith, a Pied Piper-like scoundrel, can take care of it. Keith is voiced by Himesh Patel, and he works with Maurice to earn money, clearing the, quote, problem out of the cities before moving on to the next. However, when a nosy know-it-all named Militia, voiced by Game of Thrones actress Amelia Clark, their plot may be foiled by her meddling. Especially when they reach a village that has had all of its food go missing. Can they figure out the mystery of the missing food before their funds dry out? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a mild see-it. And I give this film a... Mild shove-it. I don't know, maybe I just wasn't in the mood to see this movie that day, but it didn't really grab my attention throughout. The voice work by all of the cast was very good, and I didn't mind that, but I felt the story moved a little too leisurely for my taste. A lot of things didn't really make sense either, like why all the animals didn't talk, but Maurice could, and some animals could, but not all. It didn't make much sense to me, and I just didn't really care about the central mystery of the story. So, like I said in trailer talk, I think this was like a last-minute addition to the film calendar after the film premiered at the Sundance Film Festival a few weeks prior, but I think it was just being buried and released. You know, it's harmless, but it's not anything I would rush out to see. There are far better options. Next, the fourth highest-grossing film of all time sets sail for its 25th anniversary. This is Titanic. Listen to me! I've got you! I won't let go. Titanic was called the Ship of Dreams. And it was. It really was. Considering the film was released in 1997 and made $2.2 billion, I don't think I have to go too far into what it's about. So, to do a brief summary, a low-class man named Jack, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, meets the upper-class 
Rose, played by Kate Winslet in the younger version, and Gloria Stewart in the older version, both in their Academy Award-nominated roles, while they're sailing the Titanic on its fateful voyage in April of 1912. The two have a forbidden love before the giant ship hits an iceberg and begins to be submerged in the water, leading to thousands of deaths. Needless to say, I give this film a... Of course, it's a see it. Now, the reason I'm including this on the featured film list and not as a Be Kind Rewind segment is because it has been released back in theaters to celebrate its 25th anniversary, God, I'm old, with a 4K digital transfer as well as in 3D. It is stunningly gorgeous. The film is crisp. It looks better than it's ever looked. I don't think I've seen this film for quite a while, and the last time I saw it in the theater was when it was released back in December of 1997. Back then I was in college, and my college town only had a two-screen theater that was pretty run down and ragged, so to see this on a beautiful big screen with a laser projector was just breathtaking for me. I would have seen it in Dolby, but I had to bring my dog to the vet yesterday, and I didn't get back in time for the one Dolby showing they had, so I kind of missed out on that. Now, the movie is great. My only issue with Titanic is the script. The screenplay is not its strongest part. I've said this when I reviewed James Cameron's Avatar movies, but he is just not a very good screenwriter. His films just drag on and on and on and on, and Titanic is no exception. But once the film gets going um, into the crash with the iceberg and the action starts rolling and the water starts flowing in, it is nonstop until the very end. However, I will always think that this movie could have shaved off about a half hour of that first hour and a half. There is a reason this is one of only seven Best Picture winners that did not get a screenplay nomination the year it won. In fact, Titanic is the last film to win Best Picture without a screenplay nomination, so that tells you how important that nomination usually is, and it also tells you how weak the script is for this movie. But what's lacking in script makes up for it with special effects and the action. Also that year at the Oscars, there was some hullabaloo about Kate Winslet not winning Best Actress and Leonardo DiCaprio not even getting nominated for Best Actor, as well as Gloria Stewart not winning for Best Supporting Actress. After watching the film again and having many more years of film analysis under my belt, I really don't think Kate Winslet should have won Best Actress. I think she was a solid number three, possibly number four, behind Helena Bonham Carter for The Wings of the Dove and Judi Dench for Her Majesty Mrs. Brown. The winner that year was Helen Hunt for As Good As It Gets, and I'm not even sure if she should have won herself, even though I was thrilled at the time, but here we are. As far as Gloria Stewart goes, Kim Basinger was phenomenal in L.A. Confidential, so I'm more than okay with that award. And as far as Leonardo DiCaprio goes, I just don't think it's his best performance, so I'm okay with him not getting nominated. Um, this is more of a film of spectacle rather than acting showcases. So anyway, if you've never seen Titanic and you're too young to have seen it when it first came out, you really should because it's a fantastic movie. And if you've seen Titanic and you want to see it like you've never seen it before, go see it while it's in theaters now. It is well worth your time and money. 
So that's it for this week's featured films. To recap, Magic Mike's Last Dance is in theaters now and is a see it. You People is on Netflix now and is a shove it. The Amazing Maurice is in theaters now and is a mild shove it. And Titanic returns to theaters for a 4K 3D presentation and is a see it and is my pick of the week. Now, let's move on to my segment where I share where you can find some of the films I enjoyed within the last year that are now available for home viewing. This is now streaming. Lyle Lyle Crocodile was such a pleasant surprise when I saw it in theaters last fall, and it is now streaming on Netflix. You can hear my full review on episode 36. And Armageddon Time was a nice little movie when it was released in the fall and is coming to Peacock this Friday, February 17th. You can hear my full review of that on episode 41. And now it's time for Oscar Outlook. I'm still playing catch up with the titles I have yet to see that were nominated, and this weekend at AMC Theatres, they will be having their annual short film festival, where they show all of the nominated shorts. So I will be busy doing that this weekend. Also this weekend will be the first major awards show that will help my crystal ball with predictions as the British Academy hands out the BAFTA Awards. With a stunningly similar list of nominees and a good amount of crossover voting members, these awards along with the Screen Actors Guild Awards, the Producers Guild, and the Directors Guild Awards, will help me start locking down my predictions in the coming weeks. Um, Remember, a few years ago, when Chadwick Boseman was predicted to win Best Actor following his death, the BAFTAs were the first ones to give Anthony Hopkins the Best Actor prize, and they were onto something, because he ended up winning it, deservedly so, at the Academy Awards. So I'll give you another update next week, with some more predictions about how I think the races are shaping up. Now it's time for my segment where I look at films from the past. This is Be Kind, Rewind. Continuing on my series where I take the 52-week movie challenge, this week's topic was films with subtitles. You voted on Instagram and Facebook, and the selection with the most likes was 2019's Best Picture winner, Parasite. Nominated for seven and winner of four Academy Awards, Parasite is the first non-English language film to win the top prize, and for good reason. It's so damn good. The film tells the story of the Kim family, who live in South Korea and face economic disparity in their lives, with both parents unemployed and their children trying to help however they can. When their son Ki-woo has a friend who offers him the chance to take over his tutoring position for a wealthy family while he leaves for college, Ki-woo jumps at the chance. 
Once hired by the Park family, Ki-woo convinces them to hire his sister Ki-jong as an art therapist named Jessica. Eventually, each member of the Kim family infiltrates the Park family and their deception leads to deadly consequences. When I first saw this during the summer of 2019, I was flabbergasted at how intricate the plot was and I couldn't believe what I was watching. It was just like, oh my god, this is incredible. As it was going, every single thing was just so shocking and in a good way. This film is the class and social satire that The Triangle of Sadness wishes it was. I had heard it won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival earlier in 2019, and I was intrigued by it, but I had no idea just how incredible this film was going to be. It's one of those rare occasions that I left the theater and couldn't wait until I got to go see it again, as well as spending the rest of my week trying to convince anybody who would listen to me that they needed to see it and to get over the fact that there were subtitles. So, I say the same to you. If you haven't seen it, it is one of the best films I have ever seen, and if you don't like subtitles, get the fuck over it and watch this film. If you don't, you are missing out on an instant classic. Parasite can be streamed on Hulu. Next week's Be Kind Rewind topic is a stop-motion film. The choices that will be up for a vote are The Fantastic Mr. Fox, James and the Giant Peach, Isle of Dogs, and my personal favorite, Kubo and the Two Strings. Come to my Instagram at theatershoveit to vote on which of my choices I should focus on. So I have to wrap up this episode of Theater Shove It, and as I do, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me again this week. I'm grateful. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed this month, and while you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV-loving friends and family. And don't forget, you can always drop me a line at theatershoveit at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at theatershoveit and rate me wherever you get your podcasts. Come back next week for my summary of the Oscar shorts, Liam Neeson as Marlowe, and Paul Rudd returns in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Have a great week, everyone. This episode of Theater Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida, and is produced by Gregory G. Productions. Music by Mysterio Music. All rights reserved.